Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Well, I'm very happy to be here today and to see each of you and to have the space be completely solidly filled up with folks, it makes my heart really happy. I want to uh, talk today about um, love and um, bringing love into a world that's filled with fear and anger, hatred. And what I, I, I want to start with just saying that in the Buddha's teachings, there's two, two wings of the teachings the wings of insight and wisdom and the, wisdom, the wing of compassion and love. And they're not distinct and separate, they are interconnected because when we have a, a deep appreciation for the way in which things are not separate, when we have a wisdom, when we have insight into the nature of things, then the natural response of that is of feeling the way we are connected and to understand the importance of coming forward with a heart of loving-kindness. When we feel things, when we feel the impact, when we feel what goes on for people, when we feel what's going on in the world, then it also allows us to begin to reflect on the causes and the conditions that have given rise to that and wants us to engage in a way where we are seeing how these two things are connected. They're not separate. Wisdom and loving-kindness are dovetailed together. But for the moment, what I want to do is reflect on loving-kindness and reflect on the heart that is filled with compassion, and particularly in our world, which is, you know, feels like it's falling apart really quickly, you know. There is so much that's trembling and shaking, and there's so much which is genuinely terrifying that is going on. There is so much that is in the news that is filled with hatred and filled with with um, uh, violence and filled with uh, exclusivity in a way which is uh, shocking and threatening and uh, just wants, the system wants to curl up and there's all kinds of responses to it, but it's really hard to face it, to meet it, to know how to respond to what's happening. And so I want to talk about that because it's up. It's up for everyone. It's up for all of us. You know, it's in our faces every single day. It's up. How do we deal with it? You know, how do we deal with this level of fear? And how do we deal with this level of hatred that's, that's in our faces these days? And so I want to start by talking about, okay, how do we deal with it when it's in our own body, hearts, and minds? When we are feeling terrified, when something is going on in our health, and we're out of control, and we don't have the answers, and all of a sudden we're feeling frightened. How do we deal with that? You know, I just came from Santa Rosa, and the first thing that happened was I had to evacuate with my mom, my 87-year-old mom. She had to evacuate at 3.30 in the morning. And, you know, and there was this, like, unbelievable amount of uncertainty about what was happening. And so we went to one place, and it wasn't safe. And then we went to another place, and it wasn't safe. And so we had to go to another place. And it's like, well, how do we know? And what's going to happen? And there's all this uncertainty. How do you meet that uncertainty in your own body? How do you meet the fear of not knowing in your own body? And so a lot of the times what happens for us is we move towards wanting to grab hold of certainty. Our mind moves towards trying to fix onto something that we can hold onto. And in that situation, there wasn't anything to hold on to. There wasn't any place that we could go to in Santa Rosa that was safe. 
one place was safe and then the next five minutes it wasn't safe and then they moved and then they had to move again and you know it was just like this constant movement of lack of safety and lack of information and lack of certainty so to try and grasp on to safety in a situation that has no safety is a setup for anxiety <laughs> you know so you've got to move into what you know you can rely on which is not that there's going to be a place that's safe but that we can stay in process with the uncertainty okay it's a different kind of positioning than grabbing hold of a place that I know is going to be okay. There was no place that was okay. Not in Santa Rosa, you know. And so then I, I left with mom. We came back. We settled in. Mom was okay. The polyuses are okay. Neither of our places crashed. And then I came back and my health collapsed because of the toxicity. <coughs> and so my system was shutting down. And so it's like, I can't think. I don't have any idea. I can't process things. I How do you... How do you make choices when you can't process? You don't. So, blessed be, there are people who care and love, and they got me out of there. I couldn't do it. I didn't have the cognitive functioning to do it. You know? So, the mind is shutting down, and the very thing that I have relied on to get me out of trouble is not functioning. You know? And so it's natural that there's an anxiety, that there's an agitation about how do I do, how do I decide, how do I choose, how do I, how do I orient in a situation where the number one thing that usually helps get me out of trouble is in functioning. Relax into what I know. And to relax into what I can do. Relax with the friends and the support and the love that's there around me. And trust that. So, I'm a little bit of a medicine woman. I know about detoxing. I know about diet. I know about rebounding. I know about mud baths. I know about, you know, I know how to take care of some of this stuff. So, I went home, grabbed all of my medicines and my potions and my everythings, and packed the car. Off we went and started to do this detox process, you know. So, cleansing, <coughs> clearing getting the stuff out of my system. I still don't have any big answers, but I have a tiny little bit more information. I'm starting to feel better. At least the brain is functioning. I can string three consecutive sentences together without looking like, you know, I've just smoked, you know, five joints or something. But it can be the case that when our systems are crashing like that, what happens is we go into a panic because we don't know where else to put our attention on the thing that we have always relied on. And it's not working anymore. So we need to learn how to meet, to touch the thing which is not working and lean into what is working. To start with the few pieces of information that we have, that we have confidence with, and see what opens up with that. You know? So fear, you know, we feel it when we are feeling destabilized. There's an emotional fear and then there's a physiological fear. You know? And so people were saying, well, you know, the problem is, is really, it's the way your, your emotions are reacting to the situation. And I thought, well, it's possible. And so I went to go see my friend, and she muscle tested me. And it wasn't my emotions, it was my physical body was reacting to what was going on. I was having a reaction to the toxicity. It wasn't actually my emotions, it was my physical reactivity. So there's a physiological fear that we can experience when our systems are in danger. And that's just what happens when we have physiology, you know? When you can't breathe or the breath that you're taking is poisoning you, you know? When the environment you're in is not safe.
So we have fear, we know fear, and it is right to feel frightened when we are at risk, when the people that we love are at risk, when something that we know is threatening. It is our natural response to feel frightened. And so we can engage in battle, trying to fight it, or we can finesse our way through, leaning into what we do know to be true and find a way to move towards neither rejecting what we're frightened of nor succumbing to it. Anger, ill will, hatred. How many of us, how many of us have felt a huge amount of anger around some of the stuff that's going on in this world right now. You know, I, it's not often that I speak about my own political views and opinions because it may be that there are people here who don't have the same political views and opinions. And so I don't mean to say this as a way of suggesting that the way my political views and opinions are, are the ways yours should be. I'm using this as simply an example. I do not normally have violent thoughts. I do not normally think about taking people out. (laughs) And that thought has arisen. So there is a whole new wave of energy that comes into the system about something that feels out of control, and my initial response is just take them out. Just take them out. Take them out. Take the whole lot of them out. Just take them out. So when I am experiencing my own anger like that, then I have an opportunity to meet meet it. And to recognize that like anybody else who is experiencing anger, I need to find another way than believing that that is the solution. I'm no different. I'm no different from anybody else who has succumbed with anger as a result of what we're dealing with right now. And so when I recognize that there is something profoundly threatening that's happening, that my response is to want to take them out, then I need to touch that, honor it, respect it, and see if I can finesse my way into another response. It isn't by doing battle. It isn't by saying, you know, I am superior to anger. I don't experience that. It's by meeting it in myself and recognizing it is there for a reason. It's there because I feel terrified. And how can I come back to what I know to be true and stand in a ground that doesn't cause me to battle? And find that in myself and let that be the place that I live from, lead from, speak from. How do I do that? So my beloved 87-year-old mother is in Santa Rosa. And I moved to Santa Rosa because I wanted to be there to help support her, you know. And all of this stuff is coming up and I get ejected out of Santa Rosa my health is collapsing. It's going to be months before the toxicity of the environment settles, you know. And I have no idea what's going to happen, whether I can stay there or not stay there, whether I have to liquidate my assets in my apartment. If I do that, the chances of being able to move back. So my thinking is going like this, you know. It's like, how do I fix it? How do I do it? What do I do? What's the answer? Can I get well fast? Can I do it quickly? How do I fix it so that it works for everybody, so that I can be okay and the people that I know can be okay? And I don't have an answer. There is no answer. 
I'm dealing with a whole bunch of things for which I cannot Google an answer. <laughs> and so my thinking was just like revved up. How do I figure it out? And it wasn't leading to anything other than more tension and more tightness and more contraction and more anxiety and more feeling like I can't do it. I failed. I'm hopeless. The whole thing is hopeless. And then I start seeing everything hopeless around me. I feel hopeless inside, and I start seeing everything that looks hopeless everywhere around me. And there is plenty that looks hopeless everywhere around me. And then somebody reminds me, What do I know to be true? And like a tiny little sliver of a moon, because of familiarity, I know love to be true. I know awareness to be true. I know it is reliable. And so, I go there, but it's like a sliver, it's like a hint, it's like this vague memory because my whole system is agitated and tight and contracted and I've been in battle and everything looks hopeless and I can't figure it out and I feel impotent and powerless and miserable because it's up to me to figure it all out and I can't do it. I don't have the answers and there isn't anywhere I can look to find the answers and it's all desperate, and it's all urgent, and it's all happening, and it all needs to be figured out right now, and I can't do it. And so I go and lean into what I know to be true, which is love and awareness, and I know that it is just the tiniest glimmer of a memory, a distant memory, And I relax into that and allow it to fill. And my body to relax. And to brighten. And to clarify. And to hold. And as I feel it more and feel it fill me more, I can trust it more, and I hand over more into that. I let go of my thinking. I let go of my wanting. I let go of my not wanting. I let go of my identities. I let go of my burdens. I let go of it having to be different than the way that it is, and I just lean in to this love and awareness. I surrender into that. And something shifts. A big, huge thing shifts. And I feel calm and peaceful and clear and all of a sudden there are no problems and nothing in the outer world has shifted one drop and everything is different So how do we live with love in a world filled with fear and hatred? It's by living with love. In a world that is filled with fear and hatred. By making it a priority, by 
accentuating it, by leaning into it, by letting go into it, surrendering into it, and letting it fill and suffuse and be the place that we rest in. It's not a five-minute metta meditation that we do at the end of our meditation practice. It's not a band-aid that we put on top of cancer. It's a total surrender into it, letting it transform and take us over. It's a radical relinquishment of being separate from that. doesn't mean that we abandon our meditation practice. But we don't let our meditation practice occlude, obscure, limit, prevent our total surrender. into love and awareness and let that be the place from which we live and we lead and we choose. I still don't have answers about my place in my house and how I'm going to take care of my mom. But I'm not worried about it right now. It'll figure itself out. We'll figure it out. It will work out. And so the incredible blessing of what we are navigating is that it is so intense and so extreme in so many, many ways that our ordinary illusions are falling apart. And the band-aids are a joke. And a little bit of practice is not going to cut it. We are being invited into a radical transformation. And that is the blessing. Now people who have been on the front lines of hatred and fear, people of color, gay people, people who are not white and male and Christian, know about fear, know about hatred in a way that is shocking for us to realize that that has been a daily reality of theirs from the time they were born. And so part of what is happening is the veils of our illusion is being stripped away. What we are seeing now has always been there for many people, and we have not seen it. And so part of the horror is the horror of the dissolving of our illusion as we wake up to reality that has always been there for many different kinds of people. And so we have a chance now to stand up and represent what 
matters. Not just in our own individual lives, in our own little families, in our own little houses, but with people that we see, that we care about, that we know, that we love, that are part of our community, that are part of who we are, that whose intelligence and experience makes the richness of our life richer because it's different than ours. And so the radical transformation of love is not asking us to come back into our separate, isolated, individual little practice spaces. But to ask what is needed now? And how can we in twos and threes and fours and fives and tens come together and help support living with love? Not in some kind of mushy, marshmallow, pink smear on top of life. (laughs) But in seeing, in meeting, in responding, in genuinely connecting with what is happening now. And what do you need? One of the most awesome things that happened with this Santa Rosa catastrophe was the way the city has turned into a village. You know, people were buying masks and posting it, leaving it on their front lawns and saying, help yourself. People are giving stuff. Total strangers are opening. I've got, a, I've got a spare room. I'm happy to share it with somebody who lost their house. I've got extra clothes. I've got extra towels. I've got extra pots and pans. Who needs it? What do you need? How can I help you? Do you need food? Do you need legal advice? This is what I have. I've got two cents. You can have it. You know, I've got extra band-aids. You can have them. I've got masks. You can have it. What do you need? I can, you can have it. And so one of the real blessings of adversity is the way our defense mechanisms are dismantled and our hearts come forward and we begin to start looking at each other in terms of the light and the luminosity that's underneath you rather than through the differences. That fire did not discriminate against race or economic boundary or gender or sexual orientation or education or profession, or ethnicity, or religious belief, it burned everybody the same. So we are in a fire, and it is burning, and we have the choice whether we lock down and try and fight it, or whether we let it dismantle us and allow it to catapult us into a radical transformation, which is the opportunity that is underneath the catastrophe. It is a choice. Try fighting fire. So what my practice has shown me is how to allow the fire to incinerate to walk into the fire, to allow oneself to be incinerated by the fire until the only thing that is left is love and awareness.
to walk right into the fears, to walk right towards the anger, the hatred, to not shy away, to not identify, to not believe it, and to not deny it, but to use those energies for the incineration process itself in order to catapult us into another way of being where we are standing in love and awareness rather than giving lip service to it. The same is true in our families. The same is true in our communities, where people disagree. They have totally different opinions about how to move forward. I'm part of a Eco Dhamma Sangha is this wonderful group of people that are based in Boulder, Colorado, who are a spiritual community, and their center, their their interest is to use their practice to meet and to engage in some of the the the, the political and environmental nightmares that are coming down the pipeline and to engage in actions with it. And they, they do it from a place of heart, from a place of connecting with each other, from a place of presence. And then from that, they consolidate around some local as well as national issues and engage in some kind of activism. And one of the email threads that I got was really telling because a woman was talking about a Muslim woman and her daughter were in a diner. And somebody shouted at them, You have no reason to be here. Get out of here. Go home. And a man who was big and tall and tattooed stood up and he says, I'm in the armed service and it is my job to protect the citizens of this country. And you are a citizen of this country. Let me escort you so that you feel safe to have your dinner. And so he stood up next to her and her daughter and gave her the safety that she needed to go through the line past this man who was terrorizing her and telling her she had to leave. And when this man, who was big and tall and tattooed and courageous, got up to the man who was angry and aggressive and dismissive, he looked at him in the eye and he said, Do you really want to have dinner here tonight? (laughs) At which point he turned around and walked out the door. And the woman who's sharing this is going, Yay! He's a hero! He stood up for the underdog! Isn't this wonderful? And I thought, no, this is not wonderful. It's not wonderful to turn the anger that we have received back onto a person and terrorize them so they do not feel safe to eat. What is wonderful is when everybody feels safe enough to eat and nobody is terrorized. And that is going to take a growing up because where we are at is that we actually think it's okay to kill the people who do not believe in inclusivity. So it's a growing up that we are asked to do at this point in time where we don't just take the anger that we are seeing and turn it back on to the people who do not fit our idea of what we think belongs, which is that we think, or I think, that people who are diverse belong. 
And if somebody doesn't think that, then it's not okay for me to want to hurt, to harm, to shame, to humiliate, or to try to out them, off them, get rid of them, kill them, annihilate them. I don't want them being the President of the United States. I don't want them making the rules that govern the whole country, but they still have a right to eat dinner without being terrorized. That requires us meeting the limitations of our anger and growing up through it rather than taking it and turning it into a belief system that just recycles the anchor and dumps it on somebody else who's somehow less powerful for whatever reason. And that is where we're at right now as a people, to learn how to meet the fear and the anger that is around us from this radical place of love and rather than dump it on somebody downstream who somehow for whatever circumstances is less powerful than we are in that moment to say no, we need another way. We need another way where everybody's basic needs can be respected. Not just the people who are in the power dominance position. And so we are invited to meet our own fear and our own anger, our own hatred, not in a way to shame ourselves, judge ourselves, criticize ourselves, but in a way where we can use what we know ourselves to be true to catapult us into a place where we are standing in something that is timeless, that is pervasive, that is true, and that is everlasting. where we are embodying the refuges, not giving lip service to them. So one of the blessings of a time like this is that we've got nothing left to lose. Nothing left to lose. So, what are your thoughts? What is your impact? What's happening in your heart when you hear this? What do you want to say? You vocalize what I've been struggling with for the last <laughs> week or two or three years.
think you're giving voice to those dark thought streams of malice <laughs> when things are not going, when they're going so, so terribly. Um, what do you do when those, those dark thought streams really pop up in the psyche? Um, and uh, I was listening to Robert Thurman on a podcast about, um, he's describing the world, the political not difficulties of the world, very, you know, in such an articulate manner, this oligarchy kind of thing. And, and my, um, my moment this week, so many, but the tax bill really inflared me, you know. Um, but he, he made this point about how we have to be happy warriors, that we can't mm. protest unless we find peace and happiness and sweetness. And so I appreciate your talk because you're really elaborating that thread. Um, and he talked about it serves no purpose to be an angry, violent-filled, um, op oppositional um, advocate or warrior or political opponent. You know that that's not going to serve um, the state of the world. So so thank you for <laughs> maintaining that thread. It's very difficult. Because it's asking us to both um, escalate our, our spiritual practice as well as grow up. Mm -hmm. uh, both. Because uh, if we don't have an access to refuge, we don't have the juice to sustain in the heat. And yet our growing up is this navigating these different levels of needs. And the more grown up we are, the more we have the capacity to see Everybody is at their at where where mm. they're at because they're at their own developmental stage. And the more mature we are, the more we can appreciate where other people are at. The more we appreciate where other people are at, the more we can speak in ways where they can hear what we have mm. to say. And so we are both being asked to like deep dive into our spiritual practice and grow up. And our spiritual practice traditionally is long and slow and methodical and taking decades and don't have any expectation and it's like uh, we're at a time now where uh, we all need to be stable. We all need to understand refuge. We all need to know what is pervasive. The more of us who have an anchoring into that, the more we have the anchoring into what is reliable. <clears throat> and yet, if we do that without also growing up, then what happens and has happened traditionally and classically is you have people who have the most clear access to the transcendent but emotionally are very immature mm -hmm. or still a couple of levels beneath what normal ordinary people are at and that's not going to wash right now we need both yes please yeah. I, I struggle with the, the nothing left to lose um, I think that when I try to engage in love, that, that statement, nothing left to lose, unfortunately we have a lot left to lose, um, like in terms of rights and things that are on the table right now to be taken away. Um, you just take female reproductive rights, like that's just one thing that scares me. And so as much as like walking into the fire and trying to acknowledge that we have nothing left to lose in that term, I struggle to think like this might get worse and how do you... How do you face that with love when it's when it feels so concrete mm -hmm. that that is something that can be lost? When I step back a couple of steps from the horror of the political climate and the kinds of things that are changing right now, and I look at what's going on globally with the climate change, what I'm aware of is, is that we are very, very, very close to a tipping point that actually is not, means that life is not sustainable on this earth for any living being, okay? 
independent of women's reproductive rights. Okay? So from that perspective, it, it contextualizes some of this other. Okay? It is absolutely right that the kinds of stuff that we're navigating is terrifying. But there are other things that we're navigating which are even more terrifying. And because it's all interwoven and connected, I think we've gone past trying to fight single issues. And so I think what is needed is a way of looking at this where we're coming up solutions that are changing the, the landscape rather than focused on protecting particular individual rights. Which is part of the reason why I'm talking about we've got nothing left to lose now. Because from the perspective of climate change and the chaos of what we're navigating, we're just a hair's breadth away from this planet not being a sustainable place for just about all living beings. And that's what I mean. And that is so terrifying. So unfathomable, so hard to wrap one's mind around. It's, it's easy to not go there because it's almost impossible to actually take that on in a serious, genuine way and wrap one's mind around. Yes, please. I was reading uh, the other night uh, the teachings of Zen Master Hung Po. Uh, he was a 6th century Zen Master. Um, in, uh, I think he predates Rinzai uh, Zen. Anyway, one of the things he said was that uh, we don't think things out in advance. We just know how to put all mental activity to rest and achieve tranquility. Uh, the opposite of basically he was he was uh, saying that we don't think things out in advance and end up in perplexity. Um, we know how to calm our mind, focus our mind, and wisdom is doing what needs to be done. Um, you know, the whole drama is to eliminate the mistakes of our thinking. If we cut off our thinking and act in the moment, then we improve this world. And it's not possible to figure it all out in advance. We just walk forward. Beautifully said. Thank you. Yes, please. Okay. I'm very like alive and a little shaky, so I almost wasn't going to ask, uh, ask this question, but uh, I must. <laughs> so you, in in your story, you know, you talked about in the beginning when you were kind of lost in this hopelessness and the difficulty of it all, and you were able to draw on. Oh, I know love, and you knew. Yeah, I think you said like there was a little bit of it that you remembered and then that got you there to that resting place mm. in love. And so, I don't know if this is a question or just <laughs> um, another mystery is kind of how do you make that transition when you're stuck? It is everything. It's, it's a huge question, and it's a really important one. It's a $64 million question, you know. And I think that's where practice and community and teachers are support, because we can remind each other wholesome things. We can remind each other unwholesome things. We can encourage each other to drop and just inhabit and we can stay fixated and focused on the stuckness 
It will take more than 15 minutes to give you a somatic experience of that. But we can try. We can try. Just right now. Just right now. Don't think about the stuckness. Right now. Just become completely present to what's present in this room right now. What you see, what you sense, what you feel, what you hear, what you know is happening right now. And lean into that. And when you lean into that, lean into it. Let go into it. Give everything to it. Let go of your past. Let go of your future. Let go of any ideas about who you are and what this stuckness is all about. Just lean into it. Completely. Are you still stuck? I want to um, close with a loving-kindness meditation, a dedication, and then some announcements. So bringing to mind the image of somebody that is evocative of you, of love. It could be a person, it could be a pet, it could be an animal, it doesn't matter. It could be somebody alive or somebody gone. It's somebody that evokes love for you. And bring them into your mind, see them clearly. Imagine them right in front of you looking into your eyes. Totally delighted to see you. Absolutely happy to see you. And let in their joy and their delight in seeing you. Let in their knowledge that they want you to be happy and healthy and well. Let in their love, their care, their tenderness, their affection for you. Let it in. Let it in and let it warm you up. Let it open you up. Let it break you open. And let that love spread throughout your whole body and your heart and your mind. Let it move into your toes and your fingers. Let it move into your nose and your ears and behind your eyes. Let it move into your bones and your blood and your organs. Let it move throughout your whole body and let it warm you up and relax you and open you up. And lean into that. Lean into it. Give yourself to that feeling of love. Let it, let it take you. And as it consumes you, transforms you, notice that it spreads out and spills out and flows out everywhere.
and keep surrendering to the love. Letting go, dissolving into the love, relinquishing your identity, your separateness into the love. And let it flow. And notice as you let it flow out that everything around you is loving you back. The people, the animals, the rocks, the flowers, the furniture, the air. And so you stand like a thin veil, a hosepipe, a faucet, a fountain, a spring, where love is pouring out and pouring in, and you are the veil where it meets. The pouring in and the pouring out is where you rest. The thin veil that is you is where you rest in the meeting of the love pouring in and the love pouring out. to dedicate the efforts and the blessings of our time together and so just coming into presence and thinking about the efforts that you made to be here today the efforts of this group to be sustaining the efforts of having a place of having community of having teachers and teachings and just recognizing the value the impact the blessing and allowing the blessings of what has happened here today to spread far and wide so that all beings everywhere the earth the land the water the air everywhere can receive the blessings of our efforts here today so I was asked to speak about Donna generosity and I want to talk about it, you know it probably as the Pali word generosity. And in the Buddhist tradition, the tradition is that teachings are given freely. And that's true. From the time of the Buddha, the teachers have offered their teachings and they haven't been paid for it. But there's another way in which dana is also metta, loving kindness. Dana is metta because when you give, when you give freely, when you give without expectation, it connects you with your own goodness. When you are connected with your own goodness, it cuts across your own critical mind, your own judgment. It's an absolute counterbalancing force to the forces of fear and ill will that arise in our minds. But it's also an act of loving kindness because when you support the teachings and the teachers, they are there to support you. And so it is not only about generosity. It's about creating a fabric from which the field of loving kindness that sustains you can continue. I have a sign-up sheet if you want to be on my newsletter. There are some flyers about mentoring and morning meditation. Being houseless, it's going to be a little curious how I'm going to navigate this, but I have determination to try. And the Awakening Truth Organization, which continues, is looking for more involvement on the board. We need a secretary. 
and there are some other logistical things in terms of web support and organizational support that is needed now. And so if you are interested in the mischief that I get into, mm -hmm. sign up and let me know that you'd like to help out and I'll reach out. Okay? I am by nature a visionary and hopeless at organization and administration. <laughs> <laughs> and would do really well with people that are gifted in organization and administration stepping up. <laughs> you have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.